Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. Are you a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills? ATU are offering a Level 9 Executive MBS in Leadership and Innovation based around action learning starting late April. Take the next step in your career and contact the Exec Ed Coordinator on 918206 today or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. I'm Kieran Donald. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is the founder of Joe Gallagher Entertainment based in Straban, Joe Gallagher. Joe took his first steps in the entertainment business as a 14-year-old DJ and his DJing work took him to Norway, Denmark, Switzerland and Greece. He set up Joe Gallagher Entertainment in 1983 and has worked with the biggest names in the music world. He managed the Drifters for 10 years and is currently looking after the 25th anniversary tour of Michael Flatley's Lord of the Dance that commenced in Dublin last month. Joe, you are very welcome to Business Matters. Thank you very much, Keir. Joe, you have been involved in the entertainment industry for practically all of your working life. Absolutely. How and when did all that begin? I'm not going to tell you the uh, year because then they'll figure out my age. I'm still only 21. Um, the reality is I started off DJing here and um, it came about, it was a cousin of mine had a mobile disco called Umbala, which I don't know what it means, but it's Irish. And um, went out with him when I was about 14 or 15. And one day, he was an electrician with McCurdy's here in Straban. And one day he went out to the van and an electric bread lorry came down the Curly Hill and jammed him and the van against the wall. But there was a disco to be done in St Mary's Hall here in the town. So yours truly had to go and do it. Uh, playing the records wasn't a big problem talking on the microphone was so I used to hide down and behind the desk and this is a request for Cairn and this is a request for this one and that was the height of it and did you enjoy music were you into your music at that stage as a teenager oh I was into music I played in the local band here St Eugene's Band Straban had a great uh, history of brass bands over the years and uh, an uncle of mine um, who was a big influence um, Michael Canavan played saxophone in the band and he said we went and joined the band from a very young age and played trumpet, played cornet and uh, from there on I'd always have an interest in the music eh? So after the first gig was that you sort of on the road to becoming a, a popular DJ? Superstar? Uh, I wouldn't go as far as that um, No I enjoyed it uh, I was still school, like I was only 14 and you know there was a bit of crack in it and every what, Did you like earning a few pounds? Oh no Kieran listen let me clarify this I do this because people need to be entertained there's no money monetary gain but should they want to reward me with a few pounds we'll take it um, look I was working at a petrol station when I was 15 and I was getting like 25 quid a week but I went into St Mary's Hall, I went to Melvin Hall, the Bog Hall and Sion, the Butt Hall and Buffet, you know, even Rafaud, Kelly Gordon, whatever. We'd done all those places. I was coming home with 15, 60 pounds a night. That was a lot of money back then, Joe. It was. We were talking 81, 82. No, even before that, you were talking late 70s. So from then, what was your next step after leaving school? I took a year out, and I'm still on it. I took a year out, um, and I wanted to do a bit of DJing. And I was sitting in the house one day. Sorry, I lied to you. I was speaking to a guy called Brian Moore from Track Support Rush, and he said to me that he was only back from Norway. And I said, it was great life. So I said, 
Right. Tell me more. And I give this woman called Unicord my number. And she rung me one day. Well, she didn't. She rung the house my mother was in. She said, there's a woman here ringing all the time. She doesn't speak good English. She said, you better talk to her. So I spoke to her. And she asked me what to go over to Norway to do about a DJ. And I said, I would. She says, look, there's a guy over there. He's 10 days of his contract left. And his dad took a heart attack. We need to get him back. So I flew into Norway in one plane and back out in the other because I had no work visas. And the boy told me, just tell him you're going up to see name the DJ and I says alright oh, but when I got to customs the boy knew to look at me that I was not just going up to visit so I got all these uh, cases of records and uh, I turned and came back but I did go back after that and I'd done like a month and I got something like 17 or 1800 pounds sterling plus my hotels how was that experience for you as a young man? great I went down on a Sunday night, there wasn't a bail in the place and I went down into the, the nightclub and there was a girl behind the bar and the nightclub was very, very small and she said, do you want coffee? and I said, yeah, okay, so it came about 11 o'clock there were still only the two of us in the place and I said, there's not many people here, and she said, no, there's a Norwegian law for a late licence, we must have entertainment so the cheapest form of entertainment is Pearl DJ but come Thursday night, and I was lucky, there was a big concert in the town. On the Thursday night, I was there giving it what for, and the music was great, and they loved the, like, the old rock uh, music. And I had it made then. And the next, about two weeks later, a fellow came in and said to me, I hear you're speaking on the microphone quite a bit. And I said, well, should I not be? And he says, ah, a lot of these English DJs are over here just play the music and play a few. He said, would you do the Nescafe Top 40 for us from here next Friday? So I got a job on radio then. And then I come home for about a month. I said, no, I'm not going to stay here anymore. This is not for me. And um, phoned a club in Denmark. And the guy says to me, yeah, come on over. And I was standing at the house, I remembered as well. They were starting to threaten snow. And I was warming my ass at the back of the fire. And I said, my mother said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Denmark. She said, where are you going? And I said, no. Because <laughs> I wanted to beat the boat. And down through Scotland, down to um, Harwich and across the Esberg. What was her reaction to that? I, you know, she was a sort of used to me heading out and doing discos and stuff. And went to Norway and one thing and another. And she wasn't overly concerned. And, of course, at that time, don't forget, we had a lot of troubles here. So she knew it was safe. I was away somewhere else where I couldn't get any bother. Well, not that she knew about anyway. So what was the next step for you after that, Joe? Well, I stayed in, in, in Denmark for a number of years, and I worked in Switzerland, and you know, and I worked in um, Greece in the summer. I had a great life. Like, you're 21 years of age. What's the nutty like about it? In the wintertime, you're skiing. In the summertime, you're lying in the sun. And in between, you've Denmark like a great lifestyle. So you came home when? I came home initially about 87, 88, and then I went back again. Uh, we had lots of troubles and uh, got into a lot of bother with booking acts and one thing or another due to the Grey Steel bombing and the Grey Steel shooting and the Shankill Road bombing. We had acts booked, like status quo American wrestlers and stuff like that. And so, sorry, Joe, just going back to when you decided to start that part of your business up. Oh, it wasn't planned. So it wasn't. Um, I was DJing all over the clubs here and knocking them over home clubs in Belfast and stuff. And one of the big things was personal appearances and disco and dance acts. Some you would see in Top the Pops, like Pan's People or whatever, um, Legs and Co and all those. They would come over and do tours. So there's a guy in Dublin called Arthur Walters who was famous for managing horse lips and stuff. And he said to me, you know, can you book a few of these acts in? So I was getting like... 50 quid per act and on a weekend I could have had an act 
playing four times. That was 200 quid, plus your DJ on top of that. And what sort of venues were they appearing at? They did the likes of um, Tonery and Cairndunna, Squires Nightclub in Derry, um, the Knocknamo and Oma. Um, every hotel back then nearly had a nightclub. You had uh, Lima Valley, the Gartin, Brooklyn's Hotel, Balna Mallard. There's loads of them all over the country, like. You know, so we were never stuck. Even Monday nights, I had them going out on Monday nights. So then I started bringing them in myself. And then one of the tricks then was if there was a big storyline on the like of EastEnders or Neighbours or whatever, that mean character, we try. I tried to get my hands on them and say, "Listen, if they're coming in, have a good draw." So I've done a few of those. Curly Watts from um, Coronation Street was the first one. And there Kevin was a Kennedy. big demand, Joe, for that back then. Because we were opening shops during the day. If Cairn wanted to open his news agent, we spoke to us. We had them in and anyway, so we got to deal with them. So Cairn had a crowd at his shop. Then the bigger shops started getting, we, we opened loads of B&Qs and home bases and stuff like that. So was the trick, Joe, to sort of be ahead and be current? Trying to be current. You know, look, um, the definition of an entrepreneur, take something somebody else is doing badly and do it right. I've seen other people doing it, and we just copied them. I mean, they may not necessarily seen them here in Ireland doing them. You know, we've seen them because I was traveling, which was great. You could open your eyes up and see things that you normally wouldn't see in Stravan. You mentioned the troubles and the impact, uh, obviously, that had uh, on things in Northern Ireland. Yeah. You know, the, look, in the entertainment business, it was terrible because for whatever reason, you were going to a gig, you were going to even DJ, and you were stopped by the army, you were stopped by the police, there was bomb scares. In the summertime, you were coming across parades and marches that was putting you off your track altogether. So, you know, especially one of the incidents we had was with Kevin Kennedy, Curly Watts of Coronation Street. We pulled up to the end of the park in Dungannon, and as we pulled up one way, they blew up the back end of it so it was us away we then jumped in the car to go back down the road to the Royal Arms in Oma and the same thing happened there so he was terrified absolutely terrified and we had Tapau Carol Decker and Tapau in came to Derry and um, were playing in the Squires nightclub and she was sitting watching the news in Oma or was on Cookstown the hotel in Cookstown from the night before and uh, it said with all key holders in Derry, please return back to their premises. And the news, which was normal enough for us, we seen it every day of the week in the news. And she jumped in the taxi, went straight to the airport, and we didn't play Derry. <laughs> and half the band was set up. You know. But you used to it, you got on with it. And how impacting was that on your business, and what did you do to maybe counteract or respond to that? Well, you had to make allowances. I, I used to be one to entertain people twice a day um, you know so we'd bring in a soap star and say the nightclubs at this time you were going out at 8 o'clock not 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning you were ready to come home then so you were able to go to the club at maybe put a soap star on at 9 till 10 then drive from another venue so you'd be there for maybe half 11, 12 that had a big impact because if you came across a checkpoint or you came across a bomb scare or a bomb or whatever that other club had was expecting this attraction and the guarantee of getting it there was not good. So we ended up then just doing one a night and it worked better. It took pressure of everybody because you didn't know what was going to happen. And when did things turn for the better, Joe? Um, when did they turn for the better? It's a good question. 
it's progressively got better for us. Now it's up and down, like business is it's not easy. This is not for the faint hearted. But you know, when I was doing soap stars and doing um the dance acts and radio one DJs and things, occasionally you would get offered other things that I knew absolutely nothing about. Did I set out to do this? No. Um Eamon McCann, who you still do a lot of business with from Wonderland Promotions, he was very friendly with a guy called Jim Gallagher. Now, Jim owned and run probably 18 or 20 nightclubs. And I was lucky because I was one of his probably favourite DJs and he put me around all the clubs. But when he knew that I was bringing in dance acts, he booked them all off. I used to ring him and he goes, oh, just send me through the dates. I'll put them in a club and you look after it. And him and McCann and me got together in Belfast. And we started booking things and starting having fun. And uh, McCann, he said to me, look, I'm touring Paul Brady. Do you want to do Straban? It's amazing we'd done the Melman Centre in Straban. And we had it cancelled. There was no tickets sold for Paul Brady. We went down to Derry to the Rialto and there was probably 300 Straban people at it. So that shows you how fickle this business is so then he rung me one day and he said you fancy doing Phil Linnet I says right okay he says no it's not Phil Lizzie they broke up it's Phil Linnet and this is sometimes how you, I was wanting to do Phil Linnet so I let the romance of me doing Phil Linnet overrule the possibilities of what could go wrong was, that a, was that a mistake? no no it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it I learned that from it. We went to several places in Donegal, like the Limelight and whatever, and he did okay. Now, it didn't make big, big money. If it had been Thin Lizzy, it would have made a lot of money. And But we did okay. And I remember coming out of it, uh, and going up to Eamon's office, and I was like, there's the money. It was all cash then. There was no tickets. And uh, went up, and me and him sat down, and he said, right, here's the income, the outgoings, here's our but we split it. I came down the road thinking I was going to be a multi-millionaire in this game. Then I booked bands like Brendan Boyer and the Hucklebuck, were on the back of the Hucklebuck, and I was flying everywhere. Um, we done loads of those, done the Saw Doctors, there's a lot of bands coming through Irish. And then I started to see, you know, I'm going to start to do, bring in more. And I went after different bands and they didn't work and they did work um, you know then I had it made then because I'd landed status quo I'd landed the American wrestlers everything was flying for me great Dr. Hook three on the one time not a penny in the bank but I knew when this was over we were in the pig's back along came the Shankle bombing and everybody was terrified absolutely not we're not going in we're not going in uh, it was a week or two weeks later Grey Steel Right, so this is not happening here. And I was into an overdraft that I didn't have permission for. The bank was standing on. But then there come a time, well, hold on a minute here. You're not paying in here again. Why? What's up? And I was left in a position I didn't know what to do. So the bank wanted me to go and speak to Daddy. And I said, if I go to me dad and ask them for, like it was seven and a half grand, which was a lot of money back then. First and foremost, he would have went mad and me being in that debt. And then, of course, the mother would have said, get back to school. <laughs> what are you doing with this stupid business for? And uh, it ended up then that I, I said, let me go back to Scandinavia. I'm back over there. Started booking DJs over there. Had a real good life over there. We've done radio and stuff. Did you go back with a different mindset and a different purpose? Why? The first time I was going to DJ and have a bit of crack, and which I did, this time I went out, I have bills here to pay 
and that's what I went to do. And uh, we ended up then talking to an accountant. He's actually still my accountant, Derek Kelly. And he said, look, leave that with me. I'll go. He was only out working in Cooper, his first year in it. And he was doing a few jobs on his own. And he ended up then going to negotiate deals for me. And came out of it all right. We got there. and uh, But I stayed in Denmark then to 92. And then I came back here and I started booking the chipping deals and stuff like that. And we done okay. We were doing hot chocolate. We were doing the drifters off and on. And then we did smoky quite a lot. Um, then I started getting into the other stuff as we moved along. And then I took over management of the, the drifters, which was penalty cake. You know, it was great. Ireland had a great... <laughs> They wanted to be entertained, and I seen my my market as nostalgia because when I was going up against the bigger guys like Dennis Desmond of MCD and um, Aikens and stuff, you were getting hammered because they had loads of money behind them. They also knew the business. I didn't know the business. There's no book out there saying how to be a promoter. And, you know, I was going up and higher in the halls, and I remember going up to see um, Jim Aiken and the Ulster Hall, and he was standing with a brush. And I was in, and I thought I was a three-in man. I chatted away to him, introduced me, and he had Willie Nelson on, and he says, don't ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Is that a line that stayed with you? Oh, I very much so. You know, I have a lot of more respect now for anybody that takes a chance in any business. But this business is not for the faint-hearted. And this business is very much about taking a chance. Oh, this is the rawest form of gambling. You know, listen. We've we've done shows no further away than last year, uh, where that we have a band that we do a lot of work with throughout England and uh, Scotland, bits and pieces in Europe with them as well. Um, they're made up of ABBA original musicians. If you remember a few years ago, they talked about ABBA getting back together. The band had started the rehearsals, but that's as far as it went. And then we were contacted. You know, when I was in Denmark and Sweden, you. He made contacts and were still useful today. So they asked me what I do it. So I went to we done a, a gig in Budapest with them, Eamon McCann and myself, and hmm, this is not so bad. We brought them over here and they sold out in twenty twenty. Every seat, Mount Derrick Hotel, sold out. Waterfront uh, Arena, sold out. Brought them back. They done three hundred people in, in Letter Kenny. Why? You know, nobody knows the reason why. It's the same there's some shows on now that I'm talking to other people about it and they said, oh, you should have took them. And I said, oh, I wouldn't touch them. They said, why, do you, why didn't you take them? I said, no, I just hadn't got that. But see, your gut feeling. That's all I ever go on. And the gut feeling was not to touch them and now they're losing their shirt. Now. You mentioned uh, the nostalgia part of the business, Joe. Is it an Irish thing um, that the audience here like nostalgia or is that a worldwide thing? No, a worldwide thing. You know, people do like... Um, nostalgia because they can never reminisce about it or they, you know, there's always happy the Drifters in particular and Smokey all those songs are happy songs you hear them on the radio they're radio friendly you can have a song you can lilt along to it sing along to it or whatever that's what you need to get across when you go out for a night out now there's different genres of people the singer-songwriter people they'll go out like you know Bob Dylan they go oh, I'm going to see Bob Dylan he made a career of singing out a tune but there's still people for that 
You, you mentioned radio, Joe. Uh, you, you, you spent a, a bit of time behind the mic yourself. Done a wee bit. I enjoyed my time in the BBC and stuff. You know, would, would I go back to it? I go back for the fun. I wouldn't go back for the money. I mean, I haven't the desire to take up a full-time job you're said to me to do a few weeks for holiday or something I or would it do a Sunday evening or something yes but nah. how did all that come about Colm or Buckle from the well I was DJ in nightclubs and stuff and then I put together a drifters band first of all they came over here and they, the drifters flew in but the musicians were English and they were coming on their van and um, the van broke down, then the boat was cancelled and all sorts of stuff, so I had four black guys ready to sing and no musicians so I spoke to Colm Buckle about it, who's in Radio 4 and I said to Colm, I need a band, he says right so I got Peter Doherty, Jim Whiteside Brian McDevitt and Colm and the boys learnt the music in about a half a day and we were in cold rain and they were on stage that night and the band then, the, the the lead guy at that time was Gilly Leroy Jones, and he said to me, oh, I need me band, I'm not, he just said, you're not getting your band. And I said, I'm not paying, no more boats and no more anything. So they were going to Mulling Yar, and apparently I wasn't there, but they were sitting in a park bench in Mulling Yar, nearly mutiny, that the band wasn't going to play because the boys wanted them to mime. And they weren't, no, we're not playing. The band wasn't going to go on because they felt the band was that bad. But... They got together, Dr. Henry Kissinger appeared from somewhere, put him in a piece and harmony into it, and the guys toured with him for 10 years, and it was great. Joe, can you talk to me about Michael Flatley? Hi, um, Michael Flatley, um, great fella. We were very friendly, we were very close, um, more so recently. Um, in 2018, no, sorry, 2008, uh, we were asked to do some dates for him. I went across to England and I met with a guy called Anthony Bishop, who was his road manager at the time and sadly passed away. But Anthony and I was very friendly because we toured various other people through him and with him. And I said, look, I would love to do Michael and we'll do him in Derry. So we sat around a table in London and uh, Michael came in and he said, oh, can't make money in Derry. And I says, oh, well, of course we can so then I realised one or two things. At this time, the experience was starting to kick and I started to know what was going on. An auction situation was starting to happen. So I said to a guy called Peter Mersey, who was his right-hand man and still is, I said, Peter, I'm not going to be used here as an auction situation. There's the deal. If he wants to come to Derry, I'll do it. If he doesn't, forget about it. And get up and left. And come out of the office and went down. Don't want to fit it about London, ready to waste the time to get the fleeing back home. And who did I meet walking down the street with one Peter Mersey? And he goes, Do you fancy a coffee? And I says, Only if you have good news for me. And he says, Well, he says, We're going to do it. And I came home and I put the thing in sale. And then I took a heart attack in the middle of it. And you're supposed to pay a deposit. I hadn't paid them one penny. And flatly said to, Peter, well, how are we getting on? And Peter goes, oh, I don't know how to tell him this. So he says, well, it's sold out, and we haven't got a penny for a deposit. And he goes, I had a good feeling. He says, let it go. He said, the fellow's sick. So come around, got him all sorted, and from then on, we've been doing dates for him. We toured, number of dates, number of tours for them, and then Michael took sick, as did I last year, 
and uh, he rung me away. It was Neve started talking to me about him, and I said, "Don't worry." I says, "You know, I know it's not easy to take on board, but I had a touch of cancer last year, and uh, I am grand, and you know he'll be grand too. He's very positive in what he is." So we started talking, me and Neve, and then he came on the phone. We came out of hospital. He said, "I didn't know about you, mate," and I said, "Listen." this life I said keep it to yourself and he said we'll do some more dates and we did and you know there is RT clips where he said that it was great that I put him back where he is again now we're doing all his dates worldwide and um, how big a contract is that for you now Joe it's the pension plan you know let's be honest about it if we look after this this will stay like this for ever and ever men uh, as a brand it doesn't necessarily have to be Michael Flatley Lord of the Dances what it is there's a Christmas show which is brilliant and there we will take a break Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business are you a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills ATU are offering a level 9 executive MBS in leadership and innovation based around action learning starting late April Take the next step in your career and contact the Exec Ed Coordinator on 9186206 today or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. You're welcome back. Before the break, Joe was talking about the 25th anniversary tour of Michael Flatley's Lord of the Dance, which he's currently looking after. You know, we're doing dates in America. There's a TV program. There's loads of stuff coming out on him. And he'll keep the brand going. Michael hasn't danced in I know how many years, but he's there. And unlike Riverdance, if you want to get to speak to somebody about Riverdance, there's nobody there from day one. And don't forget, Flatley created Riverdance. No matter what anybody says, he was the boy who created it. And if today you want an interview about somebody in Riverdance, the wee dancer could be working in spar down the street and coming to talk to you but you can talk to Flatley and he'll tell you the whole story and he'll push it and push it he's a great PR man and uh, he's a wonderful human being you know he's very sincere when you get to know him Is there always going to be a demand for things like Michael Flatley? Things go in trends it goes up and down always Michael Flatley done. you know you're asking me is there always going to be a demand River, Irish dancing's been around before you and me and it's going to be around when we're long gone he's just made it sexy made it cool and made it you know, when I was growing up, some of the boys that I was going to school with said they're away the Irish dancer. You would only think one thing, like, you know, we were going to play Gaelic, we were going to play football, cricket, tiddlywings or whatever, but we didn't go near the Irish dancing. But now, they're great. You know, they're fit fellows. Like, those guys are as fit as any footballer. One of the guys here, Connor, represented, he went on to SAS, Who Dares Wins, and won it. An Irish dancer won it. So that shows you how the level of fitness that they're at. Joe, before we started recording, we were in your office that's behind us here in uh, the industrial estate where you're based. And we're in the, the large part of the office here, uh, mid-unit. Um, it's more like a, a sort of a shrine to so many big names. And when I talk big names, they're the biggest names in the business. Listen, I don't look at it like that. It's a job to me. And we get on and we do what we have to do. And we enjoy it, yes. And we have a lot of good friends within the business. And a lot of people that we will meet up with from time to time, whether they're on tour or whether they just ring you for a chat. Or you go to Scotland there and you meet up with John McLaughlin, who's 
Rod Stewart's best mate, and I was saying, well, we're going out to Celtic, or we're going here, we're going there. Um, I really never want to get in. I suppose the close people I would be close to would be the likes of Flatley and them, but I think if you're trying to run a business with them, you don't want to get too friendly. And that's where it goes. Is that the key? I don't know whether it's the key or not, but it works for me. You know, I've been described as Mrs. Mangle's husband out of neighbours. Everybody hears of him, but nobody sees him. Or Charlie out of Charlie's Angels. You know, sometimes they don't even believe I exist. But that's just the way I want to be. What's your highest point to date, Joe? And maybe your lowest point to date? Uh, you know, I know you'll think we're pay- playing lip service, but... I think when we done that thing for Creaselaw, um, it was all done for the right reasons, and I really, really enjoyed that. And it didn't happen by accident, contrary with you and that, especially Kieran Brogan thinks. Um, I don't know what he done, um, but you know we put the whole thing together. Brian McFadden and me would be very friendly. Keith Duffy, you know, and McFadden rung me here on the Sunday off it, and we had a bit of a chat. We were talking on text about it, and then I rung him about something. He rung me back, and he goes. It would be great if we could do something. I said, we'll put a concert together. And he goes, Aye. and I, he said, all that me and Duffy can do a sing, count us in. So I spoke to Kieran Brogan, and two weeks later, yourself and Father John Joseph. That was a high because it was done for the right reason. And it was done, didn't know how it was going to go, don't think any of us did. And when we arrived on the day when the stage was being built and the thing was being built up and it was starting to turn the aura into a, a venue. It was turning it into a venue you could see in any town, city across the land. It was, you know, the three arena in Letterkenny, the O2 in Letterkenny, or call it whatever you want. So it happened and I don't think anybody expected that. And at the end of it, when we were all standing on the stage, it just went, whoa, this is real. And for what I had done, I know you were saying it was quite a lot and was hard to do. The other two here, Edmund and Michelle, done as much, if not more, <laughs> especially Michelle. But, all right, it was my contacts got it to where it wanted to be. And when it happened, and that the, the final of it, then it was worthwhile to see the reaction from those people. And that was very high, like. And the lowest point in your many years in this business, Joe? I suppose... The fallout with MCD, with him and McCann, and I was stuck in the middle, um, could have put our lights out. I mean, they were we were doing a lot of shows, and they fell out, and I mean, it's all there for everybody who's seen the internet. It was one of the biggest court cases in music at the time. What was the issue, Joe, just for our listeners? <sighs> we wanted to promote concerts. Um, I would say... The rest have wanted to control the world, and greed is a terrible thing. And that's all I want to say about it. But, you know, and it ended up you can read between the lines, and it, the business was up for sale, and it subsequently was sold later for eighty-eight million, and we got nothing. So he turned it around from a a joint venture, from a partnership to a joint venture. Went to court. That's how it ended up, and. We were starting over again. You know, you had the started off, Shanko Gray Seal thing, few other lows along the way. Then just as you're getting it right, down again. Just as we're getting it right again, COVID kicked in, which was a disaster as well. 
how did that impact on your own operations here? Uh, I kept Michelle on throughout COVID. Um, we had another young girl. She left, unfortunately. We missed her, uh, Alana. She way she went, and she was doing marketing for us. But things happen for a reason. She got on with her own life. We're still in touch with her, and she's great. We have Edmund, and who's equally as good, and different sets of skills, doing very well. So, by and large, we're all still moving forward. But a lot of the shows were cancelled. A lot of the shows were postponed. Uh, but our bills weren't. You know, so we had shows on sale. Elton John's on next week. That that went on sale in 2018. <laughs> you know, Celine Dion. I don't think it'll ever happen. Um, Justin Bieber, likewise, don't think it'll ever happen. Joe, you went into a pizza parlor. Oh God, business not that long ago. Can you talk to me about that? Oh, why did I ever do that? This is this business is the worst business ever. Anybody that works in hospitality, and that is my utmost respect. You know, staff, oh, overheads, just crazy, crazy, crazy. What notion did you take? That's what I was getting exactly a notion. Um, I decided that watching Eddie Rockets and KFC and Supermax and all, this was the job for me. Get something that put a bit of money in it and it'll make me money back. And I thought, okay, a franchise. So if I get loads of them, somebody might come along with a nice big checkbook someday and buy it. I went, hmm, okay. So we're in America, NYPD, New York Pizza Department. That's the job for me. <laughs> and uh, started off in Saban, done very well. Then COVID kicked in, it went a wee bit up and down. But as everybody else is experiencing, Staff is a big issue, and we couldn't just get the right skills. We, people didn't want to work, and overheads then went through the roof. And we made a conscious decision a couple of months ago that, listen, if we can't get the right person in, uh, we'd close them. We didn't get the right person, so look, hey, that's life. I hadn't the time to be chasing it, and my boy said to me in Derry one day, he says, can you make pizzas? And I says, no, he says, don't do it. How right he was. Tell me, Joe, what is the best lesson that you've learned in business? Um, I suppose that one about the pizza shops. Uh, if you don't know anything about it, stay well away from it. The one about the entertainment business is, you know, we talked about it off air when we were chatting. You know, it's the rawest form of gambling. If you can't afford to lose, don't do it. Is there a person in business that you admire most, Joe? A person in business... Um, I suppose over the years I've met a lot of different people and for different reasons people have survived and done uh, a lot of things you know um, I suppose somebody like Louis Walsh I have a lot of time for because he came from Kiltima worked out of a mobile or a phone box and excel to where he's at. So in the entertainment business, Louis's a real good guy. You know, I was a lot of time for Peter Aiken, um, because again, Ireland's a very small country, and for him to excel to where he's got to by doing the likes of Ed Sheeran and people like that, it's a team around him, and they're all great people too. So, you know, those two people would be like, well, Peter would be a mentor, I would ring him up and have a yarn, and likewise, I'd be here for, for him as well, but more so me ringing him, if the truth be told. As mentoring... Uh an aspect of the business that you've always used or oh, I definitely very much so you know that and your gut feeling to see 
you know, if, if you feel that this isn't going to work, just walk away. Because and if somebody else takes the idea and doesn't, it works, well, so be it. Fair play to them. But, you know, I, I just think that you need to know when to walk away as well. Tell me, Joe, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Um, I would say if I was to start it all over again, dot the I's and cross the T's more. Look at it and treat it as a business. I only started treating it as a business whenever I was in big trouble. The back was to the wall. I mean, I had rally cars and motorboats, motorbikes, but no money. <laughs> and that's the time that things go wrong. Joe, just going back, you mentioned uh, the health scares that you had. Um, yes. How did they affect you? Um, well, the heart attack, I didn't even know what was happening. And, you know, a very funny story of that. It's, um, we had 10cc in, Dub- in Dublin and Castle Bar. And I was on my way up the road in an ambulance. And Pat Jennings from the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar rang me and he goes... Joe, what time will you be here at? And I says, I won't be, Pat. And so I said, I'm on my way to the Royal Victoria Hospital. And he says, what's wrong? And I says, apparently I have a heart attack. And he says, what are you doing answering your phone? And I went, what are you doing ringing? <laughs> you know, and I got into the, got up there. And yeah, of course, I was, I was scared. Why wouldn't you be? And the uh, consultant came around and he started talking to me. And he goes, are you JoeGallerEntertainments.com? And I, I says, that's me. And he says, uh, how do you go about booking the Waterfront Hall? And I says, you keep me alive and I'll book the Waterfront Hall for you. And we got on well, but I would be very, I was lighthearted about it, whereas probably in the back of my mind, I wasn't, I was, I was scared. But I got out and I was told to stay off work for um, 12, 14 weeks. I was back in 10 days, you know, and um, I was working from the home. It was a busy time, it was Christmas and stuff. And it's funny, I got when I got out of the I got out on a Wednesday and went down to Asda on the Wednesday night and I was walking around and one of the girls working at a good friend of for years and she says to me, I knew it was your father at this heart attack. I says, No, Kate, it was me and I think she knew that <laughs> because I didn't believe it. No, I didn't know. But the consultant up there, um, Doctor Dozell said to me, Don't worry, you're in good shape now. How many people out there know what condition their heart's in? Fair enough. Did it change your outlook on life? No. I just kept going. No. Because I think if it had if I would have laid down and I didn't want it to beat me. I had a lot of things to do yet. I still have. That's not on your nature? No, it's not. And you know, the the the, the thing about the last one was whoa, it was worse. Um I would sooner took the heart attack, you know. I, I was a noma. And um came down past here we were doing a festival I said to Michelle I'll leave you in the documents here and we'll get a look at it in the morning so I went into the toilet and started passing blood but I let it go three months later there was a concert in Dublin the same thing happened and then I was rushed into Altony Galvin and there's a 10 centimetre growth in my right kidney and that's just the way they talked the way we were talking now and it was a great fella down there it's funny how small a world is where I opened the pizza shop the previous shop that I had there's a girl with a flower shop and I had taken it I didn't even open it that's where I was going and I told her I was leaving it because it just wasn't right and it was her nephew done the operation 
on the removing of the kidney. And he told me, he said, oh, you'll be grand. And went into the hospital on a Wednesday, was out on a Friday, and was back out walking again Saturday and Sunday. And, hey, that was me back back at it. And th- how are you feeling, sons? 100%. 100%. You know, so, look, life, who said life's easy? And none of us are getting out of this life alive, like. Joe, what's coming up next uh, for yourself locally and maybe nationally? Um, we're doing a lot of stuff in Belfast, and we're in the process of probably going to be Billy Ocean and Rick Ashley on a bill for West Belfast Festival. We do that. Derry, we have a rival with the Northwest Orchestra in Ebrington Square, and it's done for... Robert Allen, a friend of mine who wanted to put a big concert together, so we booked that for him. Um, then we're doing loads of Lord of the Dance. We're getting into tai- uh, Taiwan, Holland, Belgium, France, doing a UK tour, and we're doing a program in America that's just about, it's been signed, so. Will that mean a lot of travelling for yourself and your team? Uh, mostly me. Mostly me. They'll not travel. We need somebody here holding the fort. You know, it's the if we're doing anything locally, uh, England, Scotland, Ireland, they all go for the last day or the, it was a one day show because they all put their their heart into it, and it's great to be there and see it finished. And you know, our work's done here. It's like when we did the Crystal thing. Michelle done more work on the day in Edwin than I did. My work was done. I put the band together, put the running order together, put everything else, got everything in line. We just turned up and done it. And that's what we do. Joe, tell me, have you a favourite band, a favourite artist, or a favourite song? Uh, not really, Kieran. Um My favourite probably artist would be somebody like Susie Quattro who I'm friendly with over the years not because of her ability to sing even though she's very good but it's just that the people you know we go out together for dinner and stuff the artist again flatly we'll go out with him Brian Adams whenever he's about we'll see him there's loads of them that I've met you know um, Bruce Johnson out of the Beach Boys we're good friends with uh, I used to be very fa- uh, friendly with Kitty Diamond, who's Neil Diamond's wife. Um, you know, people like that. And, you know, this is not me name dropping. They're there. Um, you know, you've seen them yourself. You've seen the messages from them and you've seen whatever. So, yeah, I enjoy it. But I can't really say there's a favorite song, you know, because we're involved in a few and seen them go in places in the charts and stuff. DJ would say, hey, baby. You know, I met him in Switzerland. The next thing we had him in the charts and nobody would touch him over here. And I said, look, he's going to be big when we got it released. Um, you know, they're all become, when you get too friendly with them, and I'm not saying we're best friends, but when you get to a level with them that they become friends, you don't look at them at the same. Tell me, Joe, if you had followed your childhood dream job when you were on the Bootster Band here what would you be doing today? Probably an electrician is where I was looking at and uh, my father's people were all in the building game and I was going and then I I think my mother wanted me to be a teacher but I wouldn't have the patience for it and it says he left (laughs) and uh, you know something like that or even a mechanic you know because I was involved in an uh, early stage with Brian Stewart on Lower Main Street in the garage and it was great crack footer and tinkering away but sure now you need to be some sort of a genius of a computer wizard so I know when you're not working uh, rallying is a big passion aye and you know I suppose Pat Kirk's to blame for that uh, when I worked in the petrol station he used to come around in his uh, escort or Chevette or 
um, Nova and we and him would have drove the back roads um, there's a very funny story about that uh, many many years ago Pat got involved with the buying Castle Derrick and he had Nissan cars and he had two of them and one for the forest and one for the road so on one particular Saturday morning Pat came round to the garage to me he said he coming for a run I was in Brian's I said no 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 no, no I'm not going go away went. I had to serve petrol but Pat goes down the we called the bog road and by the main dairy road and he arrived into his garage and the police after him and he parked the car around the back of the garage but the other one was in the garage and the policeman came around and says to Pat he says uh, you were in the car I was not out in the car so the car's in the garage he says you were out in the car and Kirk goes down he opens the bonnet and puts a hat on top of the the engine had stone cold and the policeman looked at him and he says Kirk you beat me this time but I don't know how you done it so we enjoyed running about the roads in it and we had great crack and then I started to do a bit of navigating for various people and um, bought a couple of cars had fun with Mickey McGlynn and a few other good mates got out of it and was cured from it which was great until one day we were offered the land of a car to go to um, the Lark in the Park to do what's called Double O when we done Double O by the Wednesday I had bought a Focus and by a month later the said Subaru was bought and that was it back at it um, done the Donegal 10 years ago now and we won our class and it was great and going over that ramp would be another high point on the Sunday as a class winner I mean it's nothing like it in your own town your own well I'm a sort of half adopted now after Chris I think is Donegal man <laughs> and finally Joe what lies ahead for yourself and your business well, uh, who knows? We're going through an economic climate that nobody knows what way it's going to go. We're in a disposable income market, uh, which depends a lot on what people have left. Costs are going through the roof, so we're going to be more cautious. We are in the process probably of expanding slightly. Uh, we'll never get into pizzas again. <laughs> we'll not be doing nothing like that unless somebody wants a pizza shop. We have two of them. Um, but... Nobody really, you know, it's so unpredictable. Life's changing at an unbelievable pace. Mobile phones has taken over social networks or social medias and stuff. You know, so who knows? You know, it's we'll, we'll still be here. Uh, we have enough work to keep us going five, six, seven years. We're booking 2025 already. Um, so, and come the end of this year, we'll be booking 2026. Joe Gallagher, owner of Joe Gallagher Entertainments and Stuban. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Business Matters. Oh, it's a pleasure, Karen. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Business Matters. Thanks to my guest, Joe Gallagher. Thanks to Kenneth Wilson on sound. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at highlandradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. Are you a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills? ATU are offering a Level 9 Executive MBS in Leadership and Innovation based around action learning starting late April. Take the next step in your career and contact the Exec Ed Coordinator on 9186206 today or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie.